For Karen McCrimmon, the Member of Parliament for Kanata Carleton, it's all about serving others, something she's done in some pretty spectacular ways over the course of her life. During her 31 years in the military, Karen broke barriers, in 1981 becoming the first woman in Canadian history to serve as an air navigator. And in 1998, she became the first woman to command an Air Force squadron when she was appointed the commanding officer of 429 Squadron based at CFB Trenton. As a commander, Karen wanted to set the example of how it could be done differently. She compares effective leadership to a bank account. Every day when you go into work and you're there to serve others, people see that. You're honest, you're straightforward, you treat people with respect, you treat them with dignity, you appreciate them. Um, You're on time, you share information. Every time you do those things, you're making a deposit into that trust bank account, right? And you grow that trust bank account because believe me, as my mother would say, the only people who don't make mistakes are people that don't do anything. We will all make a mistake. Not long after her retirement from the forces in 2006, Karen became involved in federal politics, hoping once again to make use of her more collaborative, respectful style of leadership. She was elected in 2015. Her advice to others, get involved and volunteer. She says you can make a huge difference and learn new skills when your focus is on serving others. The groundbreaking Karen McCrimmon on this episode of Run It Like a Girl. We're very thrilled today to be in Canada, where we are speaking with Member of Parliament, Karen McCrimmon. Karen, thank you so much for agreeing to be on an episode of Run It Like a Girl. It's my pleasure, Bonnie. We are extremely excited to be here and uh, haven't, haven't stopped talking about you since we left this morning uh, to come here. Um, so maybe we'll just dive right in. You, you've had an exceptional uh, life, some might say, first in your military career and now in politics. I'd love to chat a little bit about your exceptional military career, which includes several firsts and coming up in a time where there probably wasn't too many women coming up with you. And if you could just tell us a little bit about life in the military, that would be fantastic. Well, thank you, and and uh, I should let you know, though, I joined cadets on a dare. Really? My brother dared me. So, see, that's what happens when your brother dares you. So I joined cadets, and I, I felt that I, I really fit there, and I had a great time. I learned so much. I was exposed to so many different topics and things, and I really enjoyed it. And I went from there when I was going to university, then I joined the reserves, and that's how I paid my way through university, was as a member of the reserves. And uh, again, it was the same feeling that I can, I can do well here, and I can make a difference here. And, uh, you know, when I left the reserves and I, got, um, and I joined the regular force as a navigator, again, it was, uh, there weren't women doing that either, but I'd had already had five years or seven, probably six or seven years of being only one of two or three who were around, so it really didn't bother me that much. I knew I could do the job, so all I needed was the opportunity. So uh, so that's interesting. So in cadets, that's where you got exposure to being a navigator, mm-hmm. and that's what you decided to do as you were going into the military, to be, do that full-time. Um, and as you climbed kind of through the ranks and eventually commanding your own squadron at, uh, at CFB Trenton, right. uh, 
what what was it like coming in as a woman and leading? Yeah, I mean, I think um, I, I think more women see leadership as something collaborative. I I look at leadership um, as serving others. The leader exists to serve the team. Team does not exist to serve the leader. And if the if the leader is serving the team then that team will be able to achieve more. Uh, you know, they'll have more that they can be proud of because you, someone's got their back. Someone's going to be there for them if, if need be. And I think the women often, I think, are, are more collaborative that way. Uh, kind of like it's like motherhood. I'll tell you a story on the day I left being the commanding officer of 429 Squadron. Uh, we went home. My daughter was 10, I think, at that time. And, and we... You know, it said goodbye to the squadron, marched off and drove off on the back of a Harley Davidson <laughs> and then go home. And my daughter kind of crawls up on my lap and she goes, Mom, you know, I really liked being a member of 429 Squadron, but I'm really happy you're just our mom now. Oh, wow. Like, you know, <laughs> like I was being the mom to these hundred people and now I'm just mom to her and her brother. And so I think I think women get that. Um that it's it's not, uh, I don't think of leadership as a position, as a rank or an authority. Leadership is the ability to influence other people towards the achievement of, of uh, you know, a common goal, something that is not what the leader wants. It's, it's got to be a goal of the team. And the leader can help, can make a huge difference on how a, how a team functions moving forward. And I like to see, and I've seen more and more of that collaborative style leadership instead of the top-down, sit-down, shut-up, and do-what-you're-told kind of leadership that I grew up with. Yeah, absolutely. And I imagine, so do you think having that kind of authenticity in your leadership style and really wanting to, to, to you know, lead and, and be there just in service to your team, do you think that helps you kind of win over, um, you know, a group that might have been surprised to see that a woman was coming in to, to be their leader? Oh, it's, it's absolutely key because you can't have leadership if you don't have trust. And trust is, you have to have that authenticity. It has to be real. Um, you can fool some people some of the time, you know, but they'll figure it out pretty quickly, whether you're in it for them or you're in it for yourself. And when it comes to uh, building up a team, uh, if they know, if they have confidence in you, if that trust is there, then you'll be able to make a, a much bigger difference. My most favorite quote from leadership is John Quincy Adams, who said, if by your actions you inspire others to dream more, dream big, to learn more, to do more, and to become more, then you are a leader. That is my favorite because so many of the definitions I had from leadership classes and things when I was in cadets and I was in the reserves, it didn't suit me. But that definition from John Quincy Adams, I said, yep, I can be that kind of leader. So did you figure that out right away, kind of in terms, because I hear in some of the people, the leaders that we've been interviewing, you know, at first they felt they had to be a certain person to be a leader, and it took them a while to figure out, no, I have to do it my way or it's not going to succeed. What was that like for you? Yeah, it took, a, it took a while, but because I had cadet experience and reserve experience, 
I saw leadership at its best and at its worst, right? So I had something to build upon or to compare to. But yeah, over time, I felt one of the one of the reasons I wanted so desperately to be a squadron commander was to set the example of how it could be done differently. Really. But that that took me probably 15 years of learning to get to come to a clear understanding. I knew what I didn't like. And, and I kind of had an idea of how the direction I would like to see it go. But how could I bring everybody with me? And I think, and once people saw a different approach to leadership, they go, yeah, I, yeah, I get that. I, I can follow that, you know. And, and I think that makes a, a huge difference. And I think I saw women who tried to do it the men's way, the other way. And it didn't come out they didn't come across as being genuine because it wasn't because they were trying to, uh, you know, take on somebody else's mantle. And if, if you're not, if people sniff the hint of duplicity, you won't have the trust that you, you need to really build strong leadership. So you probably learned as much from the ways not to do it as from those that were uh, kind of example to you. There were times when I look back and I look at, bosses that I had in the past and I shook my head and said I would just never do it that way that's just not the right way to to treat people you know and I think of trust here's another thing as a bank account it's like a bank account every day when you go into work and you're there to serve others people see that you're honest you're straightforward you treat people with respect you treat them with dignity you appreciate them um, you're on time. You share information. Every time you do those things, you're making a deposit into that trust bank account, right? And you grow that trust bank account because, believe me, as my mother would say, the only people who don't make mistakes are people that don't do anything. We will all make a mistake. And I, at one time in my as a squadron commander, I prejudged a situation. I judged a situation too early, and I was harsh. And um, I figured it out as the information came in during the day. I'm going, oh, my God, I was wrong. That was, uh, that was unfair of me. So the next morning, morning briefing, I stood up in front of the squadron and, and I apologized. I said, I was wrong. I prejudged the situation without having all the information. I owe them a, an apology and the same to you. And all I heard back, it's okay, boss. We knew it must have been a bad day. You know, that's not something you would normally do. It's all good. But it's because I had made so many deposits when I had to make this withdrawal, I wasn't bankrupt. You know, I wasn't in the red. That's a, that's a great analogy. And um, so I imagine then uh, mentorship. Has mentorship, have there been mentors in your life? And then in, in, what do you think of mentorship? What are your, what are your visions when you think of Oh, I, I think you can make a real difference. And I, I try and reach out to a lot of people and be uh, available. So, yeah, I get calls. Can I come in and talk to you about this? Or can I can, come on in? I mean, I don't think, um, you know, I had any formal uh, female mentors, no, because there weren't any around, right? But I did have some bosses who I thought the world of who set a wonderful example. And, and I considered them to be exemplary 
looters. I mean, I worked for Rick Hillier when I was in Afghanistan, right? That, and then you, that whole camp would have followed that man to hell, even if they knew it was a one-way trip, because he had just made so many investments in the people, treating them with respect and dignity and honoring their contributions and stuff like that. That's so, Canada's got a lot to be proud of. And that's why we can lead on the international stage too. That's, I mean, that ability, that knowing that it's not about me. It's about everybody else. And and the world needs more of that kind of leadership and and that recognition that we can accomplish so much more if we work as a team. Which is why I guess Canada is so highly regarded around the world for the I, military. I think that's the case. And, and you know, we are, uh, we're used to kind of problem solving. We don't have the most up-to-date equipment certain, and, you know, lots of it. But what we have is first rate, and we make the most of it. But we rely on our people. It's our people that take the equipment that we give them and then just do magnificent things with it. So, and and uh, I think that that matters because people see us. We work hard. We work well as a team. When I was uh, in NATO as a senior staff officer, I once had a, a Norwegian uh, general come down to me, Karen. You need to go and explain the Americans to the Europeans. And then, <laughs> and, then and then so and we were those bridge builders, right? Yeah. We were those bridge builders, and there's nothing more needed more than building bridges today i think it's really important we got a lot of work to do yes in today's climate i think i think that'll serve canada well yeah, i think so too so i'd love to talk for a minute about so as you kind of transitioned out of the military when you decided and then you you went on you ran your own uh company as well yeah. and your own organization yeah. how did you decide to make uh to get into politics what was what drove you to to do that i just had didn't like what i was seeing like a government that thought that they could push back against the Supreme Court or suggest that there's changes that need to be made to our Constitution. Does this sound familiar? <laughs> and I thought, oh, no, that's not what I want. That's not, and um, I thought, I, I just signed to serve and protect this country. It didn't matter whether I was in uniform or not. And so I thought, okay, I'm, I'm not happy, so uh, I don't like what I'm seeing. So I volunteered. I went and volunteered at my first uh, um, election in 2008. And I went and I ended up running their telephone canvas. And I had volunteers from the age of 14 to 93. Wow. 90, <laughs> she was 93 years old. She would come out two or three times a week, take the bus, come down to the campaign office to make phone calls. I said to myself, that's what I want to be when I'm 93. She cared so much for her country. She was just, and it was just amazing. And so I knew I was going to be involved one way or the other, maybe just as a volunteer. But then I had gone on a, a fundraising trip, and that, that was in 2009, and that evening... If I heard it once, I heard it 10 or 20 times. They need a candidate in Carlton, Mississippi Mills, which is what this writing used to be called. They need a candidate in Carlton, Mississippi At the end of the day, kind of like looked up to the heavens and said, okay, I get it. I get it. I, you know, I'll, I'll ask around. And then that's that started me on this journey. So it's been quite uh, 
remarkable. Um, and I think so much of the things that I learned when I was in cadets, when I was in the reserves, when I was in the military, has actually helped me uh, do a, an even better job. Oh, I believe that. Um, and have you seen, like, uh, is there similarities between your career in the military and your career in politics? Yes, in, in that I want to show people it can be done differently. And I find, and I think I managed to do that in the military and, and show how it could be successful, uh, doing more collaborative leadership. I think uh, and people could see that it actually works. In politics, it's a real tough one. It's a real tough one. Um, in that the acrimony and the kind of bad habits that have been developed and the name-calling and everything. I'm trying to rise above it, but there are days. <laughs> I must tell you, there are days. <laughs> but I'm trying to, to show that politics, you need, you need opposition. You need challenge, because uh, that's what makes things better. Uh, but I'd, I'd like to find a, a, a way to kind of dial down the acrimony and, and the nastiness. I find that a little hard. That's a little hard. How do me. you do that? Yeah. I, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, I, uh, once I had, uh, an opposition member who had just taken me on, uh, said some nasty things, uh, right. Regarding my competence. You don't know what you're talking about. I and then later on walking down the hall, this person says to me, I hope you don't mind. Uh, you know, that's, yeah, that's just part of the game. No, sorry. That's not part of the game. Let's just get that out there right now. There's no reason for you to treat me like that, and I won't treat you like that either. But this has to stop. And they looked at me like, oh, my gosh. Like, so I'm sorry. No, I'm not playing that game. So uh, I don't know. It's going gonna, it's gonna to take a while because certain whatever behavior you reward is the behavior you're going to get. And on the other side, uh, there are certain behaviors that are rewarded. And on our side, there's certain behaviors that are rewarded, but they're a little different. Yeah. And I mean, I think if it's been acceptable for so long to get that mindset that, no, like you treat someone out there mm -hmm. the same as you treat them in here. Yeah. Is a hard lesson yeah. for some people. Yeah. And that's, and you know, what it, the thing is now there's parliamentary uh, privilege, which means you can say something absolutely slanderous about someone inside the House of Commons and you're protected, right? That's the, that's the way the rules are written. If you walk outside those doors and say something the similar, the same thing, you could be sued for slander. And we're trying to get to the idea that whatever you say in here, should be, you should be able to repeat it outside the door without worrying. And, and now that's definitely not the case. And if you're not willing to say it out there, <laughs> yeah, you then, shouldn't be saying it in there anyway. That, that is um, correct. So I'd love to know, as a change maker, uh, which you apparently have been for your entire life, it sounds like, um, I would love to know, what kind of advice would you give a young woman who's kind of coming up and, and maybe doesn't quite have the courage to try something different or to make change or to become that leader? Yeah. Uh, just, you have to be true to who you are. And that's, that's part of that lesson, saying don't try and do leadership the, another way, um, somebody else's way. You've got to do it your own way. But get involved. Don't, I mean, I volunteered. You know, I got involved with community support organizations. And, and yeah, when my kids were younger, I managed hockey teams and did volunteer stuff. And just get involved. Get involved. 
doesn't matter where you go, doesn't matter what kind of an organization it is, go get involved. And you will learn skills. And if, um, and if you spend your time more worried about other people than about yourself, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Because people will understand that, that that's your focus, is everybody else and not me. Worry about me. Worry about serving everybody else, looking after everybody else, and things will turn out the way they should. That's how you get people to follow. That's And that's how you make life better for people. Mm-hmm. This is how you, you can make a difference, you know, but it, it comes down to being of service to others first. Karen, I just, I want to thank you so much for welcoming us in today and for sitting with us and chatting with us about your uh, remarkable career, both in politics and in the military. And uh, I really just can't wait until we launch this episode. Thank okay. you. My pleasure. Run It Like a Girl is hosted by Bonnie Moak. Brian Long is the producer. Web design and technical assistance provided by Dan Moak. And music courtesy of the talented Brooklyn Gillichuk. On the next episode of Run It Like a Girl, at the age of 23 and fresh out of university, Rhiannon Trail landed an entry-level job at the Economic Club of Toronto, a hub for the city's business elite. Today, she is the president, CEO, and owner of the rebranded Economic Club of Canada, a heavyweight in the Canadian business world. Rhiannon Trail, on the next episode of Run It Like a Girl.